0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to be with you this morning. I love your church. It reminds me so much of being at home. Our church is set up very similarly, and I loved all the kids running around because that reminded me of my boys, who I miss. Uh, And I also deeply appreciate your tech team for doing on-the-spot fixes. I was like, that is awesome. Um, You are appreciated. I just thought it would be good to give you a a wee bit of information about myself before we get started, because otherwise I'm a stranger, and it's never fun to listen to somebody you have no grid for. So my name is Brittany. My husband Tim and I have two boys, ages three and one. So yes, you can pray for us, because our house is very loud and constantly messy. Uh, We live in upstate New York, three hours basically due north of New York City, which is what everyone thinks of when they hear New York. And we live in a small community called Cohoes, which is part of actually a greater capital region of about 1.2 million people. And there, I serve as the lead pastor at a vineyard church, and my husband works for Youth for Christ, and he runs a program for kids in our community. And together, we just feel like the Lord has asked us to put down really deep roots there and see hose come back to life. Uh, but about two years ago, right in the midst of the pandemic, I really felt like the Lord said, you have a really small vision, And it wasn't condemning, and it wasn't rude. He was just pointing out that I was really asking for God to reach the 16,000 people that we lived around. And I thought, God, that's a lot of people. But he reminded me of the 1.2 million that I could easily drive to. And he said, Brittany, pray for all of them. Pray that the gospel would saturate the capital region and ripple forward from here And it just shook my heart, it shook me to the core, because I knew that wasn't something our small vineyard church could do alone, and the Lord said, look for partners in the community. Look for other followers of Jesus who want to do the same thing, who see beyond just the doors of their church or their neighborhood, and want to see the entire area come back to life through the love and truth of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're about. And and I actively look for partners in my capital region. I love equipping the church. I think everybody should know their vocation, which is whatever God has called you to do in the world, whether that's in the arts or the sciences, teaching, staying at home, being an entrepreneur, um, knowing your vocation and being released in that, being mobilized to go and do that and bring the kingdom of God with you wherever that is. That is my passion. And so when I heard about your current series, Encounters with Jesus, it just struck something in my heart that I said, oh God, I just want to riff off that. I just want to reach into that a little bit more. I'm not going to, you know, try not to go back to where your pastors have already been or where they're going, but just some, some message that the Lord put on my heart to share with you all today. And I should give you one last brief bit of information. At SCV, which is our church home, we do a lot of interactive teaching. And part of that's because in 2020, we hired a guy from England, and he came over. He's my right hand. He's wonderful, which makes this feel like coming home a little bit for me. Um, But Dan was always really good about saying, Brittany, we need to make sure that we're hearing the word and doing it in the moment. So I love that you guys have tables. And I want to encourage you, as much as you feel comfortable, I'm going to have simple exercises, just, just thought questions, things maybe you can turn and talk to a neighbor about this morning. And I just want to encourage you, if you're comfortable, to just run with it. Uh, you can just call me the Weird American if you really hate it. I'm not saying your pastors are going to do it after I leave. Um, but if you just would, would be so kind as to do it with me this morning, I think it'll add some real fruitfulness as we go into the Word. So would you please pray with me, and we'll get started. Holy Spirit. We're so thankful for your presence here, and we ask you to increase. You have a word for each person here, whether they know it or not, because you are delighted that they're in this place, and you want to reach their heart. Would you let your love pour out right now, in Jesus' name, amen. So let's start off with a quick... Exercise, 15 seconds. I want you to use either your phone or perhaps a piece of paper, but I would love it if in the next 15 seconds, you could jot down the names of everybody you can think of in your context, your life, who doesn't necessarily know Jesus in a personal way. And go. All right, so I'll pause you there, as many as you got down. Um, Would you raise your hand if you had five names? You found five people in your context who don't maybe know Jesus super well? Cool. Keep your hands up if you had 10. 15. Wow. Anybody over 15? You got more than, you're, you're the quick writers. Okay. We know who t- who's like really fast. Um, So looking at that list, most of you had somewhere between 10 to 15 people that you could write down in 15 to 30 seconds that you knew or you think doesn't really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what that says to us is that many of us live surrounded by people who don't personally know God, people who've never heard about him. They've grown up through many generations and their family has has no grid for that or people who did grow up knowing about him, but never formed intimacy. Or perhaps you know people who grew up, maybe had some intimacy, and at some point began to feel like God was angry at them, or distant, or disinterested, or even condemning, or add to that list whatever whatever perception they have of the Father. And what we find in those attitudes today isn't all that different than the attitudes that we found in the Gospel of John and the encounters that you have been reading about for the last couple of months. What fascinates me when we're looking at Jesus is is understanding the context in which the Israelites knew God and how they related to him. Because though they were his people, the very vehicle by which God chose to return his blessing to the world they generally felt more disconnected from him than connected at that time when Jesus was walking. And to understand why, we have to look back just a little bit to the book of Exodus. So when we get here, this is that start of Israel's real formal relationship with God, you know the patriarchs had intimacy with him but then many generations passed and those were just stories and so when moses comes and he releases them from their oppression in egypt they walk out into the wander into the wilderness and they get to this place called mount sinai where god says we are going to establish a formal relationship together we're going to call that a covenant you'll find that word used over go, over and over in the scriptures and what we discover as they go to establish that relationship is that God knows that sin is still present in humanity. It's that, that rebellion within us that says, I don't know if I always trust God. I'm going to try and do that my own way and see how it works out. And God knew that was present in the Israelites. And so he had protective boundaries or barriers in place so that their brokenness wouldn't destroy them as they approached a holy God. Exodus nineteen twenty-one to 23 tells us this. It says, then, Moses, then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests who come re- regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. But the Lord, but Lord Moses protested, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me, mark off a boundary all the way around the mountain to set it apart as holy. We can read that and think, oh God, why would you be so mean as to not just let people approach? But God knew there was things in us, brokenness in us, that if we burst through that into the holiness and the goodness of God, that we would crumble before him and that we would just die. And that is not his desire. So he established protective barriers so that he could love his people in a way where they could actually receive it. But the problem is sometimes we perceive protective barriers as just blocking off. And so I want you to think about what is established and how that maybe was interpreted by Israel in the time of Jesus. They had the temple walls and the veils. Those are actual physical boundaries around where the presence of God was supposed to be and access points into it. Beyond that, you have a sacrificial system, which is set up, which means that in order to gain access to the Lord, you had to go through a forgiveness pattern where you gave an animal up for him in order to have your sins covered. You had the Levites, a priestly class that served as mediators, meaning you could not just approach the Lord on your own, but you had to go through somebody else. And then they had the law. This external guide or set of guidelines that was meant to guide them towards the heart of God, but ultimately at times just became this add-on list where priests kept putting more and more, and it became this yoke or this giant burden of things that no one felt that they could actually live up to. And so when we consider this, we consider that this is the past that Israel's coming from. This is their way of relating to God. And you add to it the current context that would bring us to the, the time of Jesus that John's writing about. And there's been like 400 plus years of silence from heaven where there hasn't been a single like major prophet that's speaking. There's certainly been people who've been hearing from the Lord. We see that with the prophetess Anna. But for the vast majority who listen and look for somebody to direct them, there hasn't been that person. And they're in a time of Roman oppression, where they're dominated by another people who essentially are saying, your God's not real. And it feels like that to them because the Romans have authority over them. And that made sense that then, in their context, the Roman gods had more power. And so Israel feels really small. And many of them, not everyone, please don't hear that as a general statement, but many of them felt actually disconnected from God. And that's not unlike today. That's not unlike the context of the United States or of England, from what I understand. There are many people walking around who don't believe that the Lord loves them. They don't feel known by him. They feel distance or condemnation or shame or guilt, or he's just not on their mind at all. And so we can understand and begin to see some things about how Jesus approaches these people in the Gospel of John that I believe he's calling us to understand and mirror in our own lives so that we can begin to facilitate introductions between the Father and the people around us. And I really want to land there today and just kind of move into that space um, because I feel like that's what the Lord wants to bless both you and, and myself with. It was a fun message to put together. So if Jesus is coming to a people who feel whose picture of God is unapproachable and inaccessible, what is it that he does? He begins to show up and facilitate conversations and introductions and revelations of the heart of God. He goes specifically to people who are probably the most disconnected because of culture, because of their inability to follow the law, um, people like the man born blind who they weren't sure, did did he sin, did his parents sin? That was the accusation that he lived under for his whole life until Jesus. Um, Or the woman caught in adultery, who the crowd was preparing to stone for her sin. Or the bleeding woman and the lepers that we find in the other gospels, who were isolated and they weren't allowed to participate in worship because they were deemed unclean. Or the demonized, many of whom were just abandoned because people didn't know what to do with them. Or the woman at the well who wasn't sure if maybe her ethnicity was a barrier to being able to actually access and approach the Lord. You know, Jesus seemed really intent on approaching people who felt like God was unapproachable. Going to people who felt like God was not accessible to them because of what culture told them, because of what their experiences told them, because of what the people around them were telling them. I want you to take a quick peek at that list again. We're going to pull that back out. You may not know all of those folks really well, but I just want you to circle any of the names or highlight them if it's on your phone of people that you've had conversations with and you can sense that their picture of God is that he is distant, condemning, angry, doesn't love them, etc. Just take a couple seconds to do that. And what I love, what I love about Jesus in these moments is that as he goes after these people, he sits down with them and he doesn't just start rushing the truth at them. He doesn't just start pouring out all this, this revelation of the scriptures necessarily, but most of the time he sits down and he listens and he empathizes and he hears their heart, and as he does that, he begins to reveal what the character of God is truly like. Because we're told in John fourteen nine, anyone who has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. And so as he comes alongside people, sits down next to them, he begins facilitating introductions between God and his creation. He goes up and he says, I'm gonna sit down and have a conversation with you. And that's God sitting down next to people who feel unseen and unwanted and undesired by God. And in doing that begins to start a new conversation, a new revelation where God's heart begins to manifest and become clear to people who have only had a foggy image or a foggy picture of who God is. They begin to experience compassion and justice and mercy Women feel seen, the ill are touched physically for the first time maybe in years. There is a sense of being known and wanted by God. There is safety, there is approachability. All the things that culture and experience have kind of built barriers around, Jesus begins to push into and say, I want to show you that that is not who God really is. That there's more to his character, more to his heart, and it is good, and it is rich, and it is lovely. And we cannot miss the significance of what that does. Because what rescues people, what restores people back to faith in Christ, what sets them free, what deepens our discipleship. If you're a follower of Jesus here and you already know him, what deepens your discipleship isn't ultimately the things you know about God. It's not participating in, participating in the right religious actions, but it's surrender to intimacy with God. And that's what Jesus is facilitating when he sits down and has these introductions with people. He's facilitating a depth of intimacy that they've never experienced. And what happens as they see the character of God revealed in Christ is that it moves their heart to a place of vulnerability and surrender. And as they step into the vulnerability and surrender, healing is released. Freedom is released. Salvation is released. Revelation that brings them to a place of intimacy and deeper connection and greater wholeness begins to come. And we can't miss the weight of that because we are made in the image of God. Jesus says he comes and lives within us. The Spirit empowers us. And to think that we can do the work of the kingdom any other way than Jesus did it would just be silly, Sometimes we overcomplicate this concept of discipleship, and we create lots of programs which are very good, we create lots of strategies which can also be very good, but at the core of it, God is saying, what's going to change people's hearts is vulnerability and surrender to me, and most people are not going to be programmed into vulnerability, including people who've been following Jesus for decades. Most of us are going to move to greater vulnerability when the heart of God is revealed to us through Christ Jesus. When we know that he is safe, that he is trustworthy, and that he is good. And so because we know those things, we'll follow him to a greater place, to a, a greater space of risk or connectivity with him, or just simply moving. When he says, go, go across the street and talk to your neighbor, And you're really shy like me, and you're like, I don't want to do that, God. And he says, no, I'm beckoning you. Go reveal the goodness of my heart by going across the street and having a conversation with them. There's such simplicity and yet power in this. And isn't that what we see in the Gospel of John with these encounters with Jesus? It's simplicity, and yet the power of God and the presence of God continues to fall. And we say, God, I want that for my kids or my neighbors or my coworkers. I want that for the people at university or in the grocery store. And we wonder, how can I make that happen? How can I facilitate the same kinds of things that I see you doing? And I feel like the Lord says, make me approachable. As you go close to people, as you draw near, get proximate. This requires proximity. As you get proximate and you are authentic about your faith, we're not walking around pretending everything's fine and that because we follow Jesus, rainbows and unicorns come after us, because that's not authentic. People will see through that and say, I don't think your faith is real. Maybe you're part of a cult. And you're like, yeah. We would say, no, I struggled with that. Oh, you're going through a hard time in your marriage. I'm really sorry to hear that. You know, I experienced that too. And I prayed or I read this scripture or I was encouraged by this message. Or somebody is struggling with their kids and parenting. Everyone is struggling with their kids and parenting anywhere in the world at any given time. We love them, but there's so much challenge to raising another human being. And you know that if you have people in your life with young kids, that is an inroad to being able to say, hey, have you experienced this, this, or this? I have. And you know what God revealed to me in that? He is a really good father who teaches me how to father. Or he's a really good and compassionate and kind God that teaches me how to mother We have opportunity after opportunity to have these unique and simple yet dynamic encounters with the people around us as we reveal the heart of God to them that invites them to intimacy and surrender, as we reveal the goodness and the character of God. Because I want to look really quickly at what Jesus did, not just in his encounters with John. In his life, Jesus is facilitating all of these these introductions that make God accessible, but It's in his death and his resurrection that God, that Jesus truly makes God approachable because look at what he does. In Hebrews 7, 25 to 27, we're told Jesus is able once and for all to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of other people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sin. And what that means, what that passage is saying is that all of those barriers that made God feel unaccessible, have been broken, quite literally. The veil in the temple was torn. The presence of God moved from the temple place into his people. He began to indwell the people moving among the rest of the world. The process to approach that, had to, that required the sacrifice of animals again and again and again has forever been covered by Jesus. The approach to God, you never have to do that sacrifice again. It is covered once and for all by the goodness of Jesus Christ, who became our high priest. We don't need another mediator. We have him sufficient forever for the rest of our lives. And we get to live as a new creation, not with an external law instead of rules, but with the gift of the Spirit guiding us, writing it on our hearts Jesus made God approachable and accessible to the entire world through his life, death, and resurrection. And it's his delight and joy to release that to us as well. I want you to turn and talk to a neighbor really quick. You've been doing these encounters with with John for a few months. I looked back on your list. Um, And I just want you to say to the person next to you, what thing has Jesus revealed to you about the Father that is new to you? What has he revealed and how is it impacting you? The overarching story of the book, and you can have that rest of that conversation after. My people are like, you tell us to talk and then you tell us to stop. Yes, I know. But that's what you can have coffee for after, or tea. The overarching story of the book is a story about the pursuit of a family. From beginning to end, the meta-narrative, if you've never read the whole text before, is God creating humanity to be his family. Saying, I want men and women and children to be my family, to sit at my table and enjoy intimacy with me, and to create in the way that I create. That's what God created us for. And we resisted that because we want control over our own lives, even though that never goes well. As much as we might think it does, it never goes well. But God is in pursuit of his family, and he will not stop. He wants to bring us back to the table. That is his deepest desire, is for you to know and everyone in the world to know that he has a place at the table with their name at it and their favorite meal, and he wants to share it with them. And so what he has done, what Jesus has done, is made a way for that to come in fruition. He made God approachable. He made God accessible. And the gift and the challenge for the church today is that that is what he has called us to do. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation where we are Christ's ambassadors making his appeal to the world, come back to God. And what that means is that we have been given the ministry of facilitating introductions between God and the people around us. We have been given this gift of saying, go and reveal the goodness of who I am so people will trust me. So they will feel safe with me and they will give control of their lives back over to me because we know when we give control to God, we find real freedom. That's where our hope is in. It's not trying to figure it out on our own, but experiencing the fullness of what he has made us for and trusting him more and more with our lives. So I got one last question for you, and and I don't mean for you to answer this today in this very moment, but I want you to look at that list again. One of the interesting things that we can do as a people is own lostness around us, which means you are not where you live or work or go to school by happenstance. You are there to bring the kingdom of God. You are there to reveal the heart of God. You are there to facilitate introductions. And so we have this privilege of owning the lostness around us, not in some way where you're responsible for their salvation. That's Jesus's job. But where you say, I see you and I want to be spiritually accountable to pray for you and you and you every day, because I want to see the kingdom of God move in your life. Where we say, I'm going to think of these three coworkers or these four classmates, and I'm just going to God, I'm going to bring them before you and say, God, how can you use me to facilitate an introduction? You have a list. You already have names of people who came to mind. I think these are people that God is inviting you to go this week and say, begin to pray with him. Ask him, how do I facilitate introductions? How do I reveal the truth of your character so people will trust you? And don't overcomplicate it. In the vineyard, we know that we follow the Holy Spirit, He's going to give you those answers, and it may be really simple. I'll share two very quick stories, and then we'll transition to worship and ministry. The first is this. I, My husband and I moved into our neighborhood in April of 2021, so not quite a year. Um, we, we, we live in a city. We don't have a driveway or a garage. I don't know. I haven't seen many of those here either. We have a garden. That's important. We have a garden. But we live where we just everybody's street parking, you share— and on our son's third birthday, which was three months after we moved in, our neighbor from across the street came and banged on our door in the middle of the party and was like, Somebody parked in my parking spot and they better move right now. I'm so furious. And I just was so bewildered because it's street parking. And I'm like, I looked at my husband, I'm like, Do, do we have assigned parking spots? Did I miss the memo? And I was instantly angry. It was my son's birthday. We had friends over and it didn't take very long. However, I had my instant moment of anger. And then the Holy Spirit said, you need to, because I would, we'd been praying for our neighborhood since we moved in. He said, this is an opportunity and you need to go and ask whatever guest is there to move their car. So it turned out it was my brother-in-law, Luke. So he got in his car and he just moved further up the block and she could take her parking spot back. So Q, later that night, I'm sitting with my husband praying, and I'm like, I'm still angry. (laughs) And the Lord goes, you need to bless her now. I'm like, bless her? We moved the car. Isn't that enough? And the Lord said, you need to give her a gift certificate for dinner, a voucher for dinner. And I'm like, I don't even know where she goes out to eat. Like, We've never had a conversation. I didn't even know her name before she banged on my door. So my husband says, that's fine. Put $25. I don't know what that relates to in pounds, but he's like, that's a, like a standard gift card amount in the States. And so I said, okay, I'll do that. That's like what I would do for somebody that's nice, but not really like my good friend. Um, so I get to church the next morning and my friend April goes, oh yeah, I just do the 25. And the Holy Spirit instantly said, no, make it 50. And I'm like, what? Like I do that for people I like. God, this is crazy. So I get home. I wait for my husband to leave because I knew he'd be mad if he knew how much I put in the gift card. And I write a little note. And I was really genuine about it, even though I was like, we're not in the wrong here. I said, I'm really sorry that we took up that space. We really didn't mean to. We know shared parking is tough. And if we ever, you know, if we can ever do anything in the future, here's my name and my cell and here's my husband's and his. And I snuck the $50 gift card in. And I'm real shy. So I didn't like wait till she was outside. Instead, I tiptoed over when she was inside and I stuck it on the outside of her door and just figured she'd find it. And she did. And lo and behold, she texted me back. And so we started this little conversation where she's like, it's really no big deal. Da da, 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 da. And let's just fast forward to today. It's only been uh, eight months. Um, we've left her gift cards. We've offered to give her rides when her car broke down. Um, we, she hasn't had a spiritual conversation with me, but we've begun to, se- I just sense a chip on her shoulder, right? And I can't share the love of Christ with her in, in truth without there being trust. And so what I've been doing with her is building trust and not, and not in a subversive way, This isn't a bait and switch where I'm like, ooh, if I can cozy up to you, I'm going to share the good news. I genuinely love her. Even if I never see her come to faith in Christ, I know God desires that, so I'm going to plant every seed that I can, even if she bangs on my door in the middle of my birthday parties. Another quick story. So that's somebody who's outside of the kingdom of God, who needs to experience the trust in order to move. How does this apply for us in the church? I have a young woman that I've been praying with for two years who has exponential childhood trauma. She knows that God loves her intellectually. She has committed to staying connected to the church, even though she has no reason and no experience that tells her that God is actually good and safe. And so what we noticed was there was a significant amount of oppression that she was walking through. She constantly struggled to feel close to the Lord. She was always feeling like disconnected or there was a barrier there or something that really made it challenging. And what I recognize in her is no different than what I recognize in my neighbor. Though she has a relationship with God, there is a need to experience the true character of God as safe and good that is gonna move her into deeper discipleship. And so we began to pray into that. And we began to see pain start to leave and fear start to leave and space for the love of God to actually take up residence in her life. And I say that because that might be some of you this morning, or it might be people that you know who are just struggling to go deeper with the Lord and you're not quite sure why. You've tried Bible studies and programs and you've had prayer appointments But there's some block, and I would say that there's something that just blocking you from receiving the goodness of God could be rooted in a lot of different things, and there's nothing wrong with you. The Lord just wants you to know that he is safe, and you can lay that down and move into a deeper place of trust with him. So this is why this matters. Why these encounters and facilitating these introductions matter. It's how we reach the world, but it's also how we grow deeper in our discipleship. It's how we become deeper followers of Christ and experience more of the fullness and the love of God. So I encourage you in that. Draw near to people. Get proximate, know their stories, know their names. Introduce yourself if you have not. Be authentic. Just be honest about your faith. You're not perfect, and they don't want your perfection. They want to see how God really moves in a real person's life. And then follow the Spirit. Trust all those little nudges that he gives you. He will give you very good clarity. you will be slipping $50 or whatever vouchers into people's houses like, I don't know, God just told me to do this. And watch as he begins to move, and softness comes. And when softness comes, you bet that the kingdom of God is very close at hand. And you're about to see breakthrough and movement and power come that is going to set people free. It was very good to be with you guys this morning. I'm going to transition it to the worship team. Um, and I know we're going to do some ministry, but I wanted to leave two words here as we move into that that I felt like maybe were for somebody here today specifically. Um, the first is that I really felt like there was somebody here and this was, your, this was the last chance that you were giving God. And that came from um, the sense that I had was that you maybe had Christian parents or, or grandparents or, or some type of dynamic, but what you saw wasn't deeply healthy. And so you really feel like you want to be connected to God, but you didn't see a lot of health in that. And so you're giving him like one last shot. And if that's you today, I would love to pray with you personally. Um, but I know that there's people around you, if, since you don't know me deeply well, if you trust somebody else, go to them. Um, but then the other thing that I really felt strongly is that there are some of you who really have a hunger to see your places where you live and dwell and play, come to know the Lord in a really powerful way. And you just want a fresh anointing to do this. And so we'll get to a point where you can get prayer. I'm not asking you to do that now, but I just wanted to throw that out there, that if you're sensing that stirring in your spirit to respond to it when the time is appropriate. Um, thank you. And I just very quickly while I'm here, I just bless you guys. There is, like, deep health in this place. You guys are a beautiful church, and God is putting down some very good roots right here. And I just sense, like, um, a a spring of living water flowing from this center out. And so I just bless you guys to just keep doing what you're doing. Trust that the fruit will come as you water and plant and tend the branches. Um, Don't be afraid to plant more. Um, I feel like you've got some really healthy trees and you're like really keeping the fruit good and giving them a lot of attention. But I feel like God's favor is on you to start to plant more things. Um, so maybe some of you are thinking about home groups that you've been wondering about or really casual meetups. I just bless you if the Lord's just been putting some some ideas on your mind on how to reach your community, to just lean into that, to trust him and begin to lean into that. Um, and Father, would you just... Just rock Birmingham with your goodness and your grace. I pray that people here would have a very clear picture of how much you love them, how much you are steadfast, how safe you are, and that we would see just a move of the Spirit that would just bring people back to faith in Christ right now in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. Thank you and amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.